right over there. It doesn't matter if you're a plumber or a supermodel. Hi, Andy. If you looked hot enough, you were in. Like you can get anything he wants if he's in the right place. In one week, I went from four bucks an hour to five hundred dollars a night. Hello, friend. Word gets around faster. <laughs> <laughs> It's where I met the three people who changed my life forever. The diva. Ain't nobody as fresh as me. The actress. You asking me to be your girlfriend, Shane? Maybe. Okay. And the king of the night. The secret is, is that I'm kind of a philosopher. I understand that the path of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. And the place to get it all was definitely fifty-four. Well, hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, what a theme song <laughs> for this particular movie. Yes, indeed. Very apropos. Mm-hmm. Everybody out there listening, my name's Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these, these are, are the, the movies, movies that, that made, made us gay. gay. Welcome back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Got a good one. We got a great one. Let's talk about it. We watched 54... With friend of the pod, Blake Knight, from the YouTube channel, A Gay in the Life. Blake, welcome to the pod. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. And I do have to say, every time I hear that song, when I've been (laughs) listening to your episodes over the last two months, I always think of this movie, 54, because I think... I don't know, it just just jives with me in that way, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think of it every time, too. And we're both around the same age, like early to mid-30s. So we mm-hmm. were like in junior high when this came out. So we definitely remember when this came out. Well, uh, let me tell you, every time I hear Mighty Real by <laughs> Sylvester, I think of Bob the Drag Queen uh, winning the lip sync over Derek Barry. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Great lip yeah, sync. yeah. That's a good one, too. Because that was <laughs> a really just, good lip sync. It's an iconic song all around. It, it really is. It, make, it makes me want to do There's a documentary on Sylvester that just came out that we need to watch. Is there? It's supposed to be really good. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I love so I bet it'd be good. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about 54. Yes. Oh my we, we landed on 54. <laughs> so I feel like this movie had always kind of been on the short list for us to do. And right. on Canada's Drag Race this season, they lip sync the main theme from 54. And it just made me think, oh, fuck. We have to do 54 like soon. Wow. And we've been. Wait, di- which one? Which song? If you could read my if mind. If you could yes. read my mind. Yeah. I love that song. I have about 10 different covers of that song. <laughs> well, I yeah, and that's the crazy thing is I always forget how much that song is covered because yeah. to me, I don't know, just to me it I know it as this like weepy Gordon Lightfoot, you know, yes. really yes. sad song about like a divorce or a breakup right. or something. But then there's this like crazy house disco remix. <laughs> Right. What, yeah. is, what is the name of the group that sings it that on this soundtrack? It's like something. Uh, 50, stars on fifty four. Stars on fifty four. Yeah. 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 
I and mean, they did a music video and everything. I yeah. was going to say, the end of this movie pretty much just turns into a music video for the song. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, worth it. Worth it. It's great. It's a good song. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, go. Yeah. We'll, we'll probably play it towards the end, towards yeah. the end of this podcast. But um, yeah. Keep going, Scott. Tell us more about 54. So, yeah. So, this movie was directed by Mark Christopher. And based on his shorts, Miramax wanted Mark Christopher to direct a full-length feature of Studio 54. So, the Weinsteins and Miramax, kind of in their big heyday of the 90s, they just Mm -hmm. wanted to make a movie of 54. Like, that's just the elevator pitch of the movie. So, they were just sort of combing directors, and they landed on Mark Christopher. And he spent five years researching the club and time period while working on the screenplay and Miramax purchased the partial screenplay in 1995 so I don't think the script was even finished it was pretty much the character the premise 54 go and they developed the script even more and Christopher shot the film in Toronto over a series of of two months in fall of 97 so Christopher finished his cut of the movie and the studio scheduled the film's release July of the following year after initial test reactions within the company and a test screening in Manhattan, further test screenings were in the suburb that did not go over so well. So that resulted right. into the in the cut version of 54. So they take Long out Long Island. So they take out all of like uh, kind of all the gayness of the movie right. just to not scare the masses of America. <laughs> okay. You're and right. this is what we got was 54. Yeah, and, you know, I think they didn't take out all of the gayness because yes. there's clearly something there <laughs> yeah. that drew, you know, our, our community <laughs> to it in some way. Yeah. You know, and it's it's kind of like, you know, we'll get to it in a little bit, I'm sure, the director's cut that he just came out with a few years ago. Mm. It has Mark's kind of what his original vision for it, uh, the film was and what it what it initially looked like when they took it out on those screenings and includes a love triangle, like a bisexual love triangle. The Ryan Philippe character is way more uh, just overtly uh, kind of sexually fluid. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. But yeah, he did do a lot of research. I know going into it from stuff that I've just read over the years. And he actually ended up meeting a lot of the people who used to frequent there and a lot of employees too which is kind of cool yeah so i'm i'm assuming it was always the idea to make it a fictionalized account of studio 54 um yeah from what i can see that's that's kind of what i thought because i think he he wanted to do something i think the director grew up in like rural iowa or something and he just used to see like 54 on tv and everything because he was born in 63 so he would have kind of been young when all this was going on and kind of saw that and wanted that escape. So I think that attracted him to mm-hmm. the whole disco life sure. in the first place. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. watching, watching the movie, you know, you, you get carried away with Shane and it's, and it's early two thousands, Ryan Phillippe, or I'm sorry, what, is, oh, what year yeah. is this? It was like mid nineties. Ryan mid- Phillippe. Yeah. 97. 97. Yeah. Okay. So it's late nineties, Ryan Phillippe, that crazy bod, you oh, know, that teeny little I'm, frame of his. I'm okay with watching <laughs> him in, you know, little dolphin shorts and no shirt. That's, I'm yep. not complaining about that, but <laughs> I just feel like there's so much like legend of studio 54 that we right. didn't even, they didn't even touch on. In this movie. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. where's Liza? Where's, you know, uh, Bianca Jagger on, that, a, on, on a white that, horse? On that goddamn horse. You know? Yeah. <laughs> All right, this right. stuff. That... I mean, 
just yeah, got they, left. Had, they had like Truman Capote. They had they had Andy Warhol. That's in the normal cut, right? Yeah. But I think those are mainly those are kind of the biggest overtly like famous people that were there. I was surprised that they didn't really touch on that more. They mentioned Disco Sally. Like, yeah, that's right. Grace Kelly. They mentioned a few times too. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah, but Scott had mentioned uh, Disco Sally. I guess was her real name. She's Disco. Dottie in the movie. That's right. The yeah. 54 yeah. Grandma. 54 Grandma. Uh, I think great. they did something interesting where they had kind of celebrities, but as themselves, but today, like Cindy Crawford is in there. There are some like oh. 90s models. Veronica Webb, I saw. Cindy Crawford, I didn't see, but I think she's in the extended cut. Um, Cheryl mm-hmm. Crow is in the trailer, so there must have That's been right. a cut of the movie just with Cheryl Crow as a featured extra. So, yeah, it was the first film that she'd ever been in in any capacity. Fifty four, and which she's is pretty crazy. And is she's not necessarily playing anyone historical? No. She's just a fabulous club goer. I think so. I think so, so. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's like an interesting take on how to fill up, you know, the yeah the fabulous people. Um, but yeah, I think the the whole time I feel like I'm just especially now because there have been so many documentaries on Steve Rubell. There have been documentaries on, you know, right. uh, Peter Gation who ran the limelight and uh, mm-hmm. I think he worked with Steve Rubell later on um, right. at the kind of like reboot of 54 and all of that like since we know so much about New York nightlife in the late 70s and 80s watching it now I'm after having seen it a couple times, I'm just sitting here going, all right, this is great. I like the whole, like, bridge and tunnel crowd aspect of it. (laughs) Um, But it just kind of feels like they're trying to almost remake Saturday Night Fever. Right, yeah, yeah. I can can see that. And, too, it might be be just a function of, you know, whenever I think of just film in general, I, I feel like the 90s, Everything was so kind of sugar-coated, and they tried to kind of put on that air of, um, you know, almost like a leave-it-to-beaver thing. If if you watch other, you know, most other rom-coms and things from the 90s, it's so particular in how everything is set up and how they do kind of try and whitewash, you know, for lack of a better term, the seedier aspects of things. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of crazy with this film, because that's what the whole place was, you know? So, yeah, yeah, that that is pretty bizarre, but... Yeah, I know the director's cut definitely delves way more into um, not just the the sexual stuff, but the the you know just the rampant drug fueled yeah. <laughs> bits yeah. of Studio Fifty Four. And when they cut that, uh, Ryan Philippe uh, was actually really upset too because he thought that that was a much more gritty and real take on it. So the director's cut that just came out a few years ago does include a lot of that more kind of gritty stuff and a lot more of the, the gayness of it as well. But I don't think that the story fits together as well. I don't think that it flows, flows as well. You know? Yeah. You were texting me that earlier and that's why we chose to just watch the theatrical cut. Yeah. Cause I, so I was watching, I watched both of them this past week, but I put on the, the director's cut, you know, and my roommates were watching it uh, with me and they'd never seen the movie at all. And we could not, you know, about probably four, 40 minutes into the movie, they were like, I have no idea what's going on in this film. <laughs> sure. So it's almost like, <laughs> I think it's a treat for people who like it as a cult film and yeah. who are already in love with it and who yeah. already really love the homoerotic undertones. It's almost like people who 
you couldn't really watch the bills of Grey Gardens without watching Grey Gardens first right. and then being like, oh, I'm on board for all this extra content. You know, that's yeah. kind of how it feels to me. Yeah, okay, <laughs> for sure. That's fun. Yeah. And this was just like a major studio movie issued out in like the heyday of Miramax. Like this yes. is 1998. So this is the year that they won the Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. So they were just like... Yeah. they were just like had their heads up their own asses yeah and i right. think that kind of when mike myers came on board probably initially this was going to be a big push for let's get mike myers an oscar Absolutely. or at least a nomination yeah, that before which is I've so funny because when you watch the movie it's just like what universe oh, would this performance <laughs> ever got nominated for an oscar yeah. let alone golden globe but they tried though yeah yeah they did try and i don't you know i even think that Anytime I see Mike Myers in anything, even, you know, Inglorious Bastards with his prosthetics and everything, I'm like, oh, this is an SNL skit. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's doing his best and it's entertaining and it's fun, but it's always a little more off tone, you know, compared to what else is going on in the world. And that's how, you know, when, when this scene was on and I was, like I said, I was watching it with my friends. Yeah. When he was rolling around in bed with all the money, they were like, what is this? <laughs> You know? I mean, I, I was in college when this movie came out, so mm-hmm. I, I remember the hype, and right. I remember it feeling like just by virtue of the fact that Miramax was slapped on the front of this movie, that it had a little bit more, you know, cred. It had a little bit yeah. more prestige. You know, they right. gave it kind of this instant, you know, um, polish, right? Yeah. And right. then also Mike Myers being in it and playing this character who is I mean for all intents and purposes Mike Myers was like a family kind of a star like Austin Powers yeah. was everywhere you know mm-hmm. had Shrek come out yet no I mean, Shrek was 2001 2001 so Shrek yeah. wasn't out yet but, but this was his first dramatic yes. feature yeah movie, you know so to me it made sense that there was kind that there was kind of this buzz about his performance because he's right. playing this man who's like this kind of you know kind of seedy gross character very uh, uh much more like adult and dark darker than where we yeah. had seen him you know right. in austin powers before so it kind of made sense at the time but yeah you know when you do watch it now and again i always say this but i don't know if it's just like our like hd tvs or what but i, I was watching in the like you <laughs> could tell his wig was on top oh, yeah. on top of a bald cap, on top of a press. It was like so much going on. It was, it was, yeah. and you know, they, the budget the budget was decent for the time. I guess I think mm-hmm. it was somewhere between like around fifteen million. But okay. we should also probably tell the listeners, you know, because I I always liked this film, and when I was trying to get my friends on board with watching it, they were like, "Well, what's what's it rated on Rotten Tomatoes? What's yeah. it like seventeen percent? Oh no." Which is crazy because I, I think it's worth more than that. I know it's sure. a cult film now. Yeah, seventeen percent. I was like, oh Jesus, that's so low. <laughs> that's, and that's not fair. Yeah. I think it made back its budget. Like it was not considered a flop. Maybe quickly forgettable, but it made its money back though. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad. I hope so. I hope it did because I think it's worth it. I think when it initially came out, though, because I read a few reviews, like contemporaneous reviews from the yeah. time, like right when it came out. And a lot of the people did say, like, it was a, a disco flop. It was, like, a commercial a commercial failure, blah, blah, blah. So I think mm-hmm. maybe for the first, you know, like with any good cult film, usually right. it takes time to, to kind of gain its budget back. And it can even get, get a second life and, you know, spin into something else entirely. Which I think it kind of has, you know, it's, yeah. got, it's got legs. Um, mm-hmm. 
Well, especially with the director's cut that made yeah. kind of the rounds of all of the film festivals. It was, it was screened at Outfest yeah. in 2015. Yes. They did a big screening of it in Hollywood Forever Cemetery, I remember. Yeah. So, yeah. So, about that, about the director's cut. So, I uh, read through an interview with the director, and he'd been wanting his own cut for years. So, when they first screened it at the two initial, uh, the two initial like private screenings, you know, before it was released, while I was still in editing... We're in Long Island, which I think at the time we can both we can all say it's kind of a you know conservative as yeah. far as you know LGBT stuff goes. Yeah. Um, so I think you know that's that's the audience who kind of fueled this massive recut, where the studio basically went into his original cut, Mark Christopher, who we also need to speak a little bit more about this <laughs> crazy director, by the way. Yeah. But they took his initial cut and they cut out 44 minutes of the film and basically re-edited it together. Didn't really shoot anything new from what I understand, but they had to add in the whole voiceover aspect, which I think uh, actually works really well yeah. to make it work, you know. Because if you if you do watch the director's cut now, I think he tried to put it back together with the way that he had it. A lot of the footage was still on film because they were in the editing process. So you can tell when they edited it back in, you have a lot of the, the footage that we see in the movie that was the theatrical release. But then it's cut in with lots of grainy footage, which actually makes it feel really cool and, like, very period for what the story is, too. Yeah. You know, so you have all this grainy footage of all this disco dancing and strobe lights going on in the club. It's actually pretty cool. That sounds cool. Uh, yeah, this yeah. director, he came from, he just made a couple of short films. Didn't he do A Boy's Life? Like oh, one, of, one of the Didn't shorts he? for like oh, A yeah. Boy's Life? Yes. I did not know what that was until yeah. I started looking into him. So he did oh. A Boy's Life 2. Okay. And I'm very interested. I've never seen these movies. He also did A Boy's Life 6 just a few years ago. Oh, wow. So that's one of his more recent things. So what is so basically from what I understand it's like what homoerotic like vignettes cut yeah. into a film? Just short yeah, uh, anthology movies. Yeah. So Okay. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. It, I mean I Warhol made see, those too. Oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I did see that uh Milo Ventimiglia is in the first one that he did back Ooh. in 97 and Ooh. I would be very interested yeah, in seeing that. Yeah. <laughs> indeed. I remember just stumbling on a boy's life movie probably on like Cinemax late at night and just being, uh-huh. you know, as a, in my early twenties and just being like, what is this? Just, you right. know, and kind of reading, you know, finding out what it was and figuring out that, Oh, it's, you know, it's this, the series of, you know, homoerotic right. gay themed anthology movies. Very interesting. But so, right. so he, he did a boy's life. They just, he just kind of has some buzz around him and they're like, here's, here's this movie. Um, yeah. You mentioned that the, director's cut is a little bit hard to follow and i kind of yeah. felt like the theatrical cut that we watched last night mm-hmm. and there's voiceover in it um to kind of help us along but i kind of did feel like it was a little disjointed like i couldn't tell if they're doing this like the tone was kind of yeah all over the place you know muddled, yeah muddled. Sure. yeah we're yeah, following yeah. shane and his like rise and fall but then mm-hmm. we're following steve and his you know downfall mm-hmm. with you know the tax fraud and all that stuff um right. so it's just like like i said it, it keeps hinting at the real studio 54 right you know and right. these real stories and these real things that were happening but then we you know our main focus is shane and then we've got what, what's uh Breckenmeyer's character greg 
Yes, yes. Greg, Greg, yeah, Greg and yeah. Anita, which this couple, who is the casting director here? Because what a <laughs> Selma mismatch. Hayek married to Brecken Meyer. What? That is an interesting couple. I mean, were they just cast yeah. based on height alone? Because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, seriously, I don't. I don't know that they were based on real people at all. This is a very interesting thing, and I love seeing Brecken Meyer in things. And I think, yeah. I would like to see him in, in more things. So you know. It is nice to see him on screen, but you're right. I feel like the chemistry there was non-existent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But a lot of that is, I think, too, you know, in the director's cut version, it's a lot of it has to do with they kind of get into a love triangle where the Ryan uh, Philippe's character is in love with both Greg and um, Anita. Uh, Anita. Sure. So that's that's kind of hinted at. Yeah. Li- not even hinted at. Obviously, he kind of goes with Anita in the theatrical release, but there are, there are moments where you're like, oh, these two, like, hot young barbacks just yeah. <laughs> kind of being really flirty and open with each other. Is that just the times? Or <laughs> there's, there's one shot in the theatrical mm-hmm. that I noticed last night where they're both barbacks still. So Shane mm-hmm. hasn't been promoted to bartender, and so they're wearing the the satin dolphin shorts and no shirt. Yes. And it's kind of, amazing. I mean, yeah, God, this <laughs> the I mean Steve Rebell's taste in boys. I mean that has he, stood de- the, he stood, definitely has a type. Stood the test of time because the you Google image search Studio Fifty Four bartenders, mm-hmm. you are in for a treat. And you know who won? And, and one of the bartenders sorry to interrupt sorry one of the bartenders that is in the film was actually one of the bartenders of the actual club oh holy he shit. hired one of the bartenders that he had interviewed oh wow and he was still young and hot looking yeah he was like hey you want to be in this movie that's kind of amazing <laughs> one of them yeah. and the one that's looking over ryan Phillippe's shoulder when he finds out that he has the clap Yes. I recognize him, and I feel like he was on a soap or something, but I can't find him in IMDb because I don't think there's a photograph with that actor's IMDb page, so he could have been on a soap if it's the guy I'm thinking of. But I wouldn't um, be surprised. He has the very soap soap face. Soap face, right? Yeah. (laughs) No, but there's a a shot, and I think it's in a montage early on. It's right when he starts working there, and – Breckenmeyer is like sitting on the bar or something and he's kind of has like his legs wide open and mm-hmm. Ryan Phillippe is they're talking and they're like face to face and he's yeah. like right up in there and they're like talking and joking and like getting really close and I'm just like oh they left this bit in like, yeah, this, yeah. This they like forgot the, to cut this yeah, part this is like the remnants <laughs> the remnants of those of that stuff and you could yeah and when you watch the theatrical it's not very overt that the Shane character that Ryan Phillippe maybe he is bisexual and they're just not showing it I feel like right. um, because with Greg there's the scene with Steve Rubell where he's like I want right. to I want to suck your cack <laughs> amazing <laughs> and he's just like oh I'm married I'm shy like whatever yeah um, uh, to which I say I don't know if you're a bartender at or a bar back trying to get ahead at Studio Studio Fifty Four, and Steve Rebell is like, "I want to suck your cock." Oh, I don't know if yeah. you even care that like you're probably you're probably pulling down those one shorts. of his handlers is in the room. <laughs> yeah, you're making it happen. You want to get that in home <laughs> studio, true, especially in the heyday of the club. You know? Yeah, <laughs> they all knew. Well, I was definitely. <laughs> Trying to spot the Alec Baldwin lookalike because Alec Baldwin did work at Fifty Four as a barback. I did not know. There's that. a That's picture amazing. of him circulating online, and I think that it's cited to Fifty Four. Yeah, wow. I think he's mentioned it. Yeah, 
That's that's awesome. I already lo- I already really love him, so that makes yeah. Me and it's and it's hot. <laughs> it's hot, young Alec Baldwin too. And he's from Long Island, right? Although right. Shane is from New Jersey, he's not from Long Island, right? True, yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I do love just uh, the idea. The shots at the very beginning of the movie of them like yeah. you know crossing right the tunnel and you know. All of that. But it's funny because I'm sure, you know, when the studio got whatever the feedback was and decided to go in and revamp it, you know, you can see it. You know, remember in the montage of just the, the normal theatrical cut where he's kind of falling into bed and there's a new girl next to him and yeah. it's a quick cut. Yeah. Right? But there's there's a guy in the in the director's <sighs> cut version. He's next to a guy at one point, too. <sighs> but they just that. kind of skim past it. They don't really make it a thing. Sure. You know? Yeah. They don't, do, like, yeah. linger on it. They just, like, long right. enough for you to know. Okay. All right. right. I like that. But yeah, yeah, I mean it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. But all in all, at the end of the day, I feel like probably with either version, you kind of get the feeling that maybe this director needed a little bit more. Yeah, time. Yeah, because if you do check out his IMDb, also, mm-hmm. I mean, really, as far as he's actually really cute, though, <laughs> <laughs> the director. But you know, he'd done a few. He'd done mostly shorts. And then got this huge, big budget movie. He did one segment on Boys Life 2 in 1997. Okay. And the next year, he wrote Studio 54 because I think I think he was either in film school or just ran in the circles of uh, other people who were working in film in, I think, New York. And one of his mentors, who I think he said was Paul Schrader. Oh, wow. That, that, that think, tracks. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> yeah. They, he, I guess he was talking with Paul Schrader, who suggested, you know, he wanted to do a disco movie, and Paul Schrader suggested, oh, you should set it at Studio 54, and that's what kind of launched him into doing all this research and meeting people who used to go there and work yeah. there and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know necessarily if three shorts <laughs> makes a, a big budget, you know, yeah. movie, especially one that was so risky at the time. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, I feel like this movie just feels like it's almost there. It has really great ideas, a great setting, but I don't really know if it really... Yeah, I think it's just director inexperience that it just doesn't really go anywhere. Like, it has its moments, and you just feel like it's almost there. Right. Yeah, I mean, there there is a quality to it that I still really... The theatrical cut that I still really love that's almost like... A slice of life thing. Yeah. You know, like I love to watch The Wonder Years because it's set in the time where my mom grew up. And I'm yeah. like, oh, this is the type of stuff she experienced and the clothes they wore and all that. So I really love, you know, 54 for that aspect of it. I think it's it's a really cool, it gives a lot of really cool insight as to not only, you know, the fashion and the lingo and all that, but just the overall feel of the movie. Yeah. It doesn't even feel like gritty because of the content. It feels gritty because it was, you know, the seventies in New York. Yeah. And that's just yeah. what the times were. It's kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think the scenes in the movie that work the best are, is the chaos in front of the club. Cause whenever yeah. you read the madness that would go on of people trying to get in the club, like right. it was just fucking insane of people oh, trying yeah. to get in this club, and then it's like there's like a shot of like these gay guys dressed as like Roman soldiers just walking oh, right yeah. up and then going right <laughs> past right past Love the that. rope. I always, whenever I see those thing, those scenes, or you hear about it, or you see it in a documentary, or whatever, I always think yeah. to myself, 
I would never have gotten in to Studio City. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but then I think to myself, yes, I would have. We got into clubs here in L.A. It would have right, been the same right. thing. But then I'm like, hey, maybe not. I know. That was, that was the thing, too. I mean, I don't think there's anywhere really like no. 50, 40. No. Maybe, I mean, maybe in like the French Riviera during summer right. and stuff when people were visiting there nowadays. But in L.A., even I would say 10 years ago, the club scene was pretty – Hot and a yeah. lot of the time you had to know people to get in, but it was yeah. like the club voyeur. Were you guys right. in LA? Remember? Yeah, I was. You know, uh, voyeur makeup. Like it was, it was, yeah, yeah. Voyeur was very like fifty four esque, and if you've been to the club, the box in New York, mm-hmm. that one in London, also it's very avant garde. The type of shows they put on, lots yeah. of lots of titties out, and you know <laughs> things like that. Yeah. So, those kind of places do exist a little bit, but I don't think anywhere ever, you know. Uh, Met, met the level that Studio 54 did. And the whole appeal of the club and what made it so iconic was you would get these famous fashion designers and movie stars, but mm-hmm. they would let in just people off the street if you could get through. So right. Liza could totally be like snorting coke next to like a construction worker. Oh, yeah. Just, I mean, that is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> just based on Steve's whim. Yeah. Um, I think maybe <laughs> something that came close was probably, but again, in the 90s, or not in the 90s, in, in New York, and right mm-hmm. around, right afterwards, was probably like Limelight and the Tunnel, right. you know, and all of that kind of a situation. But yeah, in L.A., I don't know that it ever really got that exclusive. No, Like, no. Yeah. If, you di- if you put in your dues and just, like, got there early enough, you could get into makeup. You could get, you know, you could get into wherever if, right. if you just got there at 930. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> and spend a shitload of money on drinks because you were there for six hours. But you, right. you know, you could get in. Um, you didn't have to I rent love, a horse. I love in the movie yeah. too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say you didn't have to rent a horse and bring it up <laughs> to the front because I was reading that Maybe, after yeah. after women read about Bianca riding it in on that horse, people actually brought animals no. to try to replicate it I and love just it. think, oh well, no they let in Bianca <laughs> with the horse. <laughs> That's amazing. She lives somewhere around here, I think, doesn't she? Oh, really? Bianca? In LA? Yeah, I think in in like Laurel Canyon. Oh I'm my god! Sure. That that tra- yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> I think I saw her at the little like country store down there one time. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I love that. Uh, I, um, but... I love that. I read something that Mick Jagger was quoted. She was she got on the horse there. She did not ride in. <laughs> Because, like, the whole urban legend is they just let her in from the front doors riding this white horse. She was just, like, (laughs) just galloping down. Like, bitch got on that horse, and she was just let out for five minutes. Yeah. Amazing. (laughs) Wow. That is pretty awesome. I want to tell you guys how I even came about, you know, watching this movie when I was younger in the first place. So I met my first boyfriend. I lived in, like, rural Texas that was, like, an hour and a half outside of Dallas, not not a gay to be seen as far as I knew. I did I'd never even met an Asian person. Right. Okay, in my that's it was that remote, that yeah. kind of thing. And I had a Zanga. I'm dating myself. Remember Zanga? Do you know what that is? Oh my god. It was gosh. like live journal kind of where you would like it was like your online like little private oh, yes. blog diary thing. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had a Zanga. Couldn't make it look straight if I wanted to. So this guy <laughs> who also lived in Texas but about six hours away from me, messaged me, and he ended up being my first boyfriend. And we, oh, wow. you know, his his aunt was a judge in Dallas, so he would fly in, and I would, could see him that way, that kind of thing. It was really nice. But he introduced. He was a few years older, Escandalo. He was about 
I think I was 16. He was probably 19. Wow. Or something. Nice. And yeah, he would send me, (laughs) he would send me like care packages. He was actually a really sweet guy. I had a really great experience with meeting a stranger online, a gay guy. That's how you had to do it, you know? Especially like the dark period of the late 90s in the internet. Oh my God, yeah. These kids don't know how easy they have it. AOL chat. (laughs) <laughs> remember all that stuff oh yeah but yeah so well, he, he would send me care packages and he sent me another film which i don't think you guys have done yet cruel intentions have you done that oh yet? that was our bonus episode. it was our pilot oh, that yeah. was our pilot uh, yeah it was Wait, our that test was your pilot it was, no it was the test it was, run it was the test of what of, oh. of if we could make this thing work we recorded oh, that and then we didn't release it forever because we just thought it was a little too raw you know a little too crunchy okay but then eventually um I think we were leading up to like taking a little bit of a break, so we threw it out there as an extra episode. We listened back to uh-huh. it, and it was actually pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't, oh, nice. it wasn't bad. I was about to say, how could you have not done that movie? But of course you did, because yeah. all the other ones on your list have been I mean, it's the, it's, <laughs> the, it's, the, it's Ryan showing off those buns. Hey, that's why. So yeah, that yep. movie, after oh, he sent me that, <laughs> yeah. I went down a Ryan uh, Philippine just rabbit hole yeah. and started watching everything I could with him, and that's how I came across 54. I think I was... Probably a junior in high school or something. No, no. Yeah, it was around the time when it came out. No, it wasn't. I graduated high school in, what, 2005. But yeah, I was in high school when I first saw it. Yeah. And it was all very gay interconnected, the reason that I did see it. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) You know. What was the movie he did with Angelina Jolie? Playing by heart. Playing by heart. Was that the one where he would go to clubs and dance by himself? Yeah. And he had, like, purple hair? So I have a theory about (laughs) playing by heart. Have you seen playing by heart? No, I haven't seen so it. So I have a theory. It's this little, it's this cute little, like, interconnected L.A. characters. How original is that? Um, and <laughs> the Ryan Phillippe sequences are with Angelina Jolie. And I have a theory that that Angelina Jolie character was written for a man. Oh, and, they, and they gender swapped it. Because the Ryan character clearly reads yeah. as a gay man. Yeah. He goes. I think she she has a history of going for. Oh well, that's interesting that he reads as a gay man. In that that. that. role, yeah. And the big reveal is he has AIDS. Yeah, bummer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it's just there's all these little like uh, what do you call them identifiers in the movie for the character that it's like this should have been a gay dude. Right. He goes to the club and dances by himself. Yeah. (laughs) And he's got like crazy. He's got like he has blue hair, like dyed hair in the really yeah in the Mm -hmm. movie. I gotta check this out. Yeah, and it's from around this time too. It's from around like '99. Yeah, but you do not see his buns in that movie, unfortunately. Oh damn! I mean, I'll I'll make an exception. Bless, bless Ryan. Just like ushering in all of these gay boys into sexuality. He, oh my god! Yeah, he really he really sparked some sexual awakenings. Yeah, and some boys. Absolutely. I think he's commented on it too. He has to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all over the internet. I think it's like it, a meme. I though. think it's something he's very proud of. Yeah, <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah, and he I seems mean, like a cool enough guy. I think he. I think he's down. Yeah, <laughs> I would think so. And yeah, I was. I was in college around his like big, you know, breakout onto the scene. Saw Cruel Intentions. You know, I know what you did last summer. All in the theater. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, I was just very like, I was. I was like inching my way out, you know, around my friends. And like I had (laughs) at some point, like I had come out, but I was still very like wouldn't really address it or talk about it. It was just like, we remember we said this thing and then, you know, (laughs) as it goes. Yeah. And then, you know, I'd I'd watch these movies and, you know, we'd talk about them and everything afterwards because my friends and I just loved movies and would go to see everything. And I would just be like, yeah. That was a good one. 
<laughs> We're really just thinking, oh yeah, my God, yeah. this boy, this boy, like who, where did he come from? This yeah. angel face, mm-hmm. this like that teeny little frame. <laughs> oh yeah, and he looks—he looks like with his hair like as curly as it is, almost yeah. like you know early Timberlake. But he looks yeah. like the the statue David to me. Yes, you know? for sure. You know, <laughs> Scott was mentioning when we watched this movie. You know, the the early scenes where he's got his like longer hair, right? And then he cuts it. To, oh yeah, you know, because it's like very Vidal Sassoon or whatever. Mm-hmm. He sees this ad yes. paper. It's very in. It is. It's very in. But you know, yeah. at that time in like 1979, 1980, curly hair on guys, you know, it was just kind of that like shaped, yeah, sh- curly yep. shortcut. You know, like uh, Christopher Atkins and Blue Lagoon. I oh, was yeah. thinking of the Greatest American Hero. Who? Who? Do you remember that show, The Greatest American Hero? Or uh, no, who Carrie White takes to prom? Yeah, he's the guy who yeah, William Cat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. He's the guy Tommy, who takes. I think that's kind of the Tommy look. Ross, yeah. I think that's kind of the look they were going for. Yeah, hey, they nailed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I think his hair was, you know, his hair is pretty naturally like that too. Because mm-hmm. even in Cruel Intentions, oh yeah. I mean, it's not quite that that poofy, I guess. But there's definitely an air of that in there. Yeah, there is a weird <laughs> scene of this movie where he goes in and returns the money to Mike Myers, and I think that it's a pickup because it looks like a wig. It looks like a wig. Oh, Look really? for it next yeah. time. He looks like he's wigged. The sides, oh are, God, the sides amazing. are smashed yeah. down, and like you said, the, throughout the movie, it's a little bit more poofy. It's a little bit more right. round and picked out. But yeah, that's right. because they're going for the seventies aesthetic. What I right. love is, and I know you know we're not even really chronologically like chronicling this movie at all, but there are scenes at the end after Steve Rebell has his like fall from grace, and they all mm-hmm. kind of meet up and have this reunion, and it's like. What year is it? Because Breckenmeyer yeah. just looks like late nineties Breckenmeyer. They they jump way far. I mean, there was a hard cultural shift in yeah. the world of this movie because what he's in jail for eighteen months mm-hmm. and comes out, and the entire aesthetic, the clothes, everything everyone's yeah. wearing is like full on. Like yeah, I don't know. Some of it's muddled. Some of it looks like late eighties, but some most of it looks like early nineties. Kind of that weird hodgepodge. Well, time. yeah, because like it looked like the bartenders kind of had like a polo shirt popped collar kind of a situation, and oh, then yeah. like and then like Salma Hayek is in this like Party Selma, City Tina Turner wig. Salma has her <laughs> has a rocker chick wig. Yeah, like rocker yeah. girl like from the Halloween yeah. store. Yeah, and then <laughs> Ryan Phillippe and Breck and Meyer just have normal haircuts. That right, they had right. like at the time, so yeah, yeah, that jump was kind of weird. Um, yeah, this cast we talked a little bit about it with Salma and and Breckenmeyer. Salma Hayek, I think, is doing a good job. I feel like she, she definitely yeah. has a she definitely has a wig journey in this movie. She has a wig <laughs> journey. I'm ready. I'm here for any wig journey in any movie. You know, and I'm assuming we are to just kind of go along with it and be like, oh, she's just wears wigs because right. it goes from like. Bowl cut. I think that's right. Yeah, we're. Yeah. I think we just have to assume they're wigs. We, yeah, they're working yeah. at nightclub. It was that was a big part of the times too. Yeah. You know, yeah. people. I think more flippantly would just put throw a wig on, completely different look from day to day. Yeah. And she seems like the type that would do that so. for sure. You know what's interesting about this movie? Who kind of gets a raw deal? Um, she only really has one or two scenes. She works the coat check with Salma Hayek. It's uh, mm-hmm. Maxine from Living Single, and. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And when I saw her at the beginning, I was like, oh, yeah, she's in this. I love her. She's so funny. Oh, bye. 
<laughs> like we never I forgot see most of her scenes. Was. I knew I recognized yeah. the person, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, that's right. That is most of is. those scenes ended up on the cutting room floor. Uh, oh, well. that's true. I wonder if there there might be more of her in the the director's cut. I'm yeah, sure, it's significantly longer. Okay, so if we're going through the cast. I remember when I first watched this movie because I was such a huge fan of Nev Campbell and the Scream movies, The Craft. Oh, yeah. I remember being very disappointed with how little mm. she's in this movie. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that she just kind of came with the Weinsteins and Miramax that they were just trying right. to give her vehicles to see if anything stuck. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were talking about them when I was watching that, too, because my fiance loves the Scream movies. I'm whatever about them. He <laughs> loves them. We'll watch them. At any given moment, almost shit his pants this week when they announced a new one that Courtney Cox is coming back to. <laughs> Courtney's By on the board. Way, Courtney Cox's bangs in Scream Oh Free my god! Deserve a whole podcast I mean, episode. Oh, I mean, yeah, we would. I mean, speaking of wig journeys, yeah, that <laughs> one. That's a wig journey. I hope that was a wig. It better have been a wig. <laughs> I hope she didn't commit to that. I don't know how she would have made it back. Poor Courtney on in Friends. those in those goat <laughs> chewed bangs. Oh yeah. my god, that was crazy. I love her streaks yeah. in two. You love what? I love her streaks in Scream 2. Oh, my God. They're so cool looking. Chunk Like a chunky highlight. That was of the times, too. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Those chunky highlights. Yes, indeed. Um, But, yeah, notice... Yeah, I wish wish that she would have had, um, you know, more time time in the film. Just because her character character is very kind of, you know, demure and confident. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't really... You know, she doesn't stand out, I think, because so many of the personalities in the film are so big, yeah. like the Steve yeah. Bell character. But when she's on screen, you know, I wasn't necessarily disappointed in what she did. I thought it was great, but yeah. I just wanted more of it. I feel like the earlier shots of her where he would kind of see her in the little VIP lounges, she looked very beautiful and period. I feel like they gave her these really cool, like, disco-y dresses, you know, yeah. the hair and everything. And then when we finally do get to their, you know, their scene where they meet, Back that in, little cabin or whatever it was. Yeah, back in Jersey. Yeah. They're meet cute at the They're, country club, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I loved it, and I felt like it was almost, it should have been earlier in the movie. Yes. You know? Right. Um, I almost feel like you could combine the Cell Award, the Seal Award character, and Julie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of make them one, kind of integrate her in, more into the plot. Yeah. Well, I think a big function of that was just that they had already shot basically an extra hour, and <laughs> with that extra hour, you know, they had enough time for these characters, and then they're like, "Oh fuck, we have to make this work somehow." Yeah, you know. And I think you know, I think they did a pretty decent job when the the voiceover definitely helps helps navigate navigate the clusterfuck that it ended up being. But <laughs> I do wish there was more of it. <laughs> yeah, because the Seal Award character kind of comes and goes. Yeah. Like, she comes in, she does her thing, they bang, you know. Right. <laughs> but right. I, I guess it serves the purpose of him kind of knowing his real, his true place. Where oh, yeah, he thinks, Yeah. Mm-hmm. He thinks he's a little too big for his britches. Um, right. we, we have a little bit of that scene, so let's, let's take a listen. Okay. So here I was putting my Jersey moves on Park Avenue. I really believed I'd come out of there that night with some good connections. You have the essence of Errol Flynn. Hmm? Instead, I saw how far I had to go. Oh. <laughs> Darling, you know who Errol Flynn is. Oh, yeah. Errol Flynn, right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you are the most gorgeous troglodyte I have ever seen. 
Thanks. <laughs> uh, I love this party that they're at. at like, you like at, it? At Lauren Hutton's house. Like, yes, Lauren Hutton. Like, what is this party of just... I love the look on Lauren Hutton's face when she's like, oh, 54. Like, yeah. like they're so mysterious. They're yeah. just a couple of, like, zoo animals <laughs> that they're looking That's at through I a mean, cage. I wonder if that is how it was because I do think, you know, in, in a lot of films that depict this kind of Manhattanite upper class socializing, you always get these very kind of prim and proper dinner parties with intellectuals and then they throw in – you know, a wrench that kind of screws everything up. You see that in, like, um, you know, like um, American Psycho, that yeah. sort of thing. It's very of that world. But, you know, I remember I just coming from middle of nowhere, Texas, and moving out to California for college. I remember feeling like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's another reason I could identify the gay in me identifies with this movie. You know, coming from, like, small town to big city. And oh, yeah, to find definitely. Same here. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> I, he, you can kind of hear him say like, you can make out the T because he says Errol Flint, but it's like I feel like yeah. he he could have hit that T a little harder yeah. for it to come yeah. across because they start laughing so hard and you're just like I don't know across the table at a crowded dinner party probably sounded like he said Errol Flint, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> he needed to really land that Errol Flint. Errol Flint, yeah. <laughs> I did notice it too, but only because I was looking for it. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Like, we knew you yeah. you know just watching the movie that he's gonna say something wrong. So Right, um, right. And too, I was really happy to see some of the scenes that I actually really liked were the ones with his sisters. Yeah. I was gonna mention in what Heather. universe is Heather Matarazzo yes. and Ryan Phillippe siblings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I right, I love right. Don Wieners. Like, I love Heather, but that is a very out of hey, the box the same, casting the same choice. Universe that Breck and Meyer and yes. Selma Hayek are together. I guess. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she's she's very charming in this role. It's very right. cute. Just they're like you know their uh, dynamic as brother and sister, and just your kind of middle America. Uh, knowledge of 54 that even though you had never been there you would never go yeah. you just saw it on the news well i think also mm-hmm. being in being in jersey you need that yes. perspective yeah mm-hmm. i think being in jersey at the time living in the tri-state area you would see it on the news you would see right. it in the paper that it would be like you right. know all over the place i tried to find a shot of princess grace at 54 and i couldn't find it oh. oh my gosh that'd be great yeah that'd be that's a frameable a frameable something if it does come up somewhere that'd be yeah, fun to have for sure i love <laughs> that after disco granny is hauled off the dance floor and like he's being led to grace i'm just like well grace is waiting oh, I, i'd go <laughs> i'd go <laughs> i'd go wait on her but you know if after he was so like inundated with that world and had probably already seen her multiple times and other celebrities and stuff. I understand, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. But yeah, it's that, that scene is actually really heartbreaking. I think too, you know, yeah, just seeing like, Oh, mm-hmm. cut the lights again. We're moving her out. Yeah. You know, I did find it kind of interesting that he goes up to Steve's office. Cause he's trying to get his stuff. Mm-hmm. He goes back to the DJ booth to sell, to tell Steve, like they're here, like they're raiding your office. He goes back down the stairs to the dance floor, gets caught by the security, gets bounced, makes it outside, and he's still holding Disco Dottie's soiled wig. 
Yes, I just <laughs> noticed that this time, and he wraps himself in so that sad. trash bag, and he's holding the wig. And yeah, I was like, oh, man, I was like, well, he was That's holding crazy. on to that wig the whole time. Um, <laughs> and then, like you said, he's wrapping it. It's it's New Year's Eve. This whole party, all this stuff happens on New Year's Eve. So it's you know right. December thirty first, January first, the mm-hmm. probably four thirty five o'clock in the morning, downtown Manhattan, and he's got no shirt on, you right. know, and right. in jeans. And the image of him finding a garbage bag and wrapping himself up in it and walking away, I feel like they almost didn't hold on it long enough or I don't know if just there wasn't enough of, a, of an emotional cue there. Maybe maybe I, the score was not doing it for me or something, but I felt like that imagery could have been taken a little further. And mm-hmm. then, you know, Nev Campbell pulls over and she's like, oh, can I give you a ride? And she gets right. out of the car in a fur coat and I'm like, Give me your fur right. coat. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, see, it's funny that you say that too, because in the director's cut, that's the that's the clip that starts the whole film. He's in the sure. trash bag, and he's like walking really slowly, like slow motion. Yeah, you know, and you can tell that he's had some kind of you know fall from grace. Yeah, something like that. And they they really do linger on it almost too long in the director's cut. Okay, so yeah. maybe we needed a happy medium. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I almost feel like he just took a cu- a couple of steps, and it was just like, oh, okay, they just they got the shot, and now we got to move on with, you know, right. with with Nev Campbell. Um, we were talking about that too. We're like, okay, she talks about not really liking being on a soap because you're kind of at the bottom of the barrel of acting and all that. Right, and she even watched- though soaps were huge at that time. Yeah, that well, that was. And you know, I know that she has say. a driver because she's got a right. she's got a driver. She's wearing this fur. She mm. you know she seems to be pre- doing like, pretty bitch, well for I'm herself. I'm like bitch. Work your way up on that soap. Yeah. You could be Susan. <laughs> you could you, you could be Lelucci in like 20 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. What um what I noticed is that her styling when she was outside of the club, just like mm. I forget the character's name, but just when she's like Nev Campbell at the bowling alley, they styled right. her very much, uh, and it's. Right on the period, they styled her very much like uh, Kate Mulgrew uh, on Ryan's right. Hope. Yeah, that like that Ryan's yeah. Hope era, you know, Kate Mulgrew, because she would have been around the same age. She was in her early twenties, you know, totally. uh, when that show was on in in seventy seven, I think seventy seven, seventy eight. So I yeah. think they kind of took a lot of cues from her and that look, and with the hair and kind of having like this, you know. I yeah, know. I, yeah, I, right. I I really liked her her styling in those in those scenes. Does the director's right. cut add any? to their relationship that we don't see? Um, a little bit, but it definitely focuses more on the love triangle. Sure. It does add a little bit. And, too, you know, earlier you mentioned that the director's cut was released at Outfest and then at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery they did a viewing. But, actually, the director, Mark Christopher, had been trying to basically lobby for doing a director's cut for, you know, since the movie came out, basically. And okay. Miramax was not having it. So what he did was kind of cut together what he had of, uh, you know, of the footage. And he, he showed that as like a bootleg version at Outfest and then at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. And that garnered enough attention. And there was a new person in charge at Miramax who was just like, oh yeah, I see what you're doing here. There's obviously some kind of cult interest in this film. So go ahead and recut it how you want. Here's your budget. Just don't go over the budget. Um, and so that's kind of cool. And at this yeah. time, the Weinstein's didn't have anything to do with the Miramax back catalog, too. So they weren't even oh. they weren't even in the picture anymore, because oh, they sold okay. off Miramax, uh, kind of around two thousand seven, two thousand eight. 
Okay, so Miramax so was just after that. Miramax just kind of existed by themselves. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, that makes sense. So I know that we rented the director's cut when it first was released, and I know right. that we watched it, and I have vague memories of it. But I okay. definitely remember that kiss well, in the director's yeah. cut. <laughs> well, uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's where I'm going. So I guess the whole idea is that Shane is just really buying into Steve and, you know, the idea of 54 and this like hedonistic, you know, lifestyle and the path of excess and all of that stuff. Um, Right. But while Greg, who deals drugs, doesn't really, isn't really shown taking drugs. Like he smokes pot with them once, but he's dealing and and he's dealing really only so that him and his wife can kind of have a better future. Oh, Right. You know, so Shane is the one that's kind of going down this dark path and he has the biggest fall. I mean, aside, aside from Steve, but, um, so when Shane and Greg kind of have their little moment and they, and he like steals this kiss from him, Mm -hmm. like, where is it in the movie and how does it relate to their relationship for the rest of the movie? You mean, uh, they're the, like, uh, love, the love triangle and the... Yeah. Director's cut version? Yeah, yes. I mean, it's it's featured pretty heavily, I would say, starting around the halfway point. Okay. And goes on throughout the movie. Okay. Um, it's, it's just a lot more direct that... I can't remember who it is. So, yeah, he does... He kisses... He kisses Breckenmeyer, right? Uh-huh. Which I think is very weird, too, because I think they were, like, BFF in real life. Oh, man. <laughs> so I think that was probably pretty, pretty yeah. awkward for them. But, yeah, that was cut just because, you know, the mass market just de- deemed it too risque, I guess. But yeah. I can't – I don't remember all the details of it because I – so I watched the director's cut probably when it came out when you guys did in full. And then we yeah. started watching it. I watched only half of it this last week, sure. a little more than half of it because my, my friends that I was watching it with, you're like, we just don't understand what this narrative is because it is, it's so haphazardly put together. It almost feels like an art film, you know, sure. because, for example, the first night that Shane gets to go into Studio 54, you know, there's that scene where he's listening to someone, I think they're singing Knock on Wood. Yeah, right? yeah. It's not and he's like, he's kind of like nodding along and he's about to step out on the dance floor and he's trying to gain his courage. They have a take in the director's cut version where... He's trying to gather his courage and step out on the dance floor. It cuts to it like three or four times, like really prolonged where it's like his foot, like close up on his foot, like trying to do it. So, you know, even though even though certain aspects of that film, like the the love triangle between him and Anita and Greg, they're definitely way more prevalent. And that adds a kind of edge to it. There's a lot of weird editing stuff in there that really just kind of takes you out of it. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I, I think I do still prefer the, the theatrical cut, even though a lot of the stuff, I don't know, who knows, who knows what the film would have looked like if the director could have done what he wanted with it at the time when he right. actually had all that footage and, you know, the, the stu- if the studio would have been behind him or if Miramax would have been behind him, it could have been something totally different. Yeah. Um, I and think- it was still a dark movie. I, th- I, I think even the theatrical cut is still dark, but the... The main thing that I can say about the director's cut is that it's way darker. Yeah. You know, all the things aside, it's just a lot darker, a lot more gritty. And, you know, they probably just should not have tested the movie in the places that they did, knowing what it was. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the whole idea of the movie is that, I mean, Studio 54, it's maybe not right for 
<laughs> yeah. The suburban, for a suburban, <laughs> suburban family audience. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the cool thing about it is that, you know, as, as much as we can laugh about, you know, the boys' life director coming in to do this, you know, yeah. there really weren't and there really still aren't very many films that portray bisexuality at all. Right. And this especially one did that, especially from a male character. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Especially from a male character, and this did that. And even though it was a period piece, you know, it was made in the '90s, and there really just weren't any other things doing that. So I think, I think that was such a such a reach for audiences to yeah. be able to to understand that, and it was just so foreign to them that they just were like, "No, nah, we gotta we gotta do something else here," you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Which is a bummer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I keep going to, in my head, thinking about Party Monster. Yeah. And yeah. That's made like... 2003? Four, four years later, five years later. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that is kind of on an opposite end of a spectrum because Miramax is not a big studio, but... Right. You know... They had some. They had stars, you know. Marketing out uh, art house movies to the public, yeah, to like the masses, yeah, right. Whereas right. Party Monster came in and tackled similar subject matter. I think a little grittier. It's about right. a murder, yeah. <laughs> but totally. again, it's something that it's set against the backdrop of this like infamous, you know, nightlife situation mm-hmm. in New York City. Mm-hmm. And while well, something like Party Monster has. It's a little bit more rough around the edges because it is an indie film studio. You know, it came from these two directors who came from the documentary world. They had already done a documentary feature on the same subject matter. So it's kind of, I don't know. Well, if we're going to be talking about rival movies, we have to talk about the kind of the Dante's Peak and Volcano of the Disco movies in 98, <laughs> because this True. is the year that Whit Stillman's The Last Days of Disco came out. Uh, and when they were making and editing Last Days of Disco, I believe that the studio said to Whit Stillman, we'll do anything you want, you just have to have this movie out before 54. And they right. beat 54's release date. Okay. I wonder how closely, though, because they did come out very close together, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. and... Uh, you know me and um, my stance on Whit Stillman movies, and uh. Um, uh, that's some white people shit. But <laughs> they're a little, they're a little smug for your taste. They're a little waspy. I love the last days of disco. They're a little they are, waspy they for my taste. But um, so the last days of disco, it's not Studio Fifty Four in the movie. Like it's no. implied that it is, but they don't say it. They talk about no. fifty four in the movie, but oh. it's it's a separate club that just resembles fifty four. But you know I what? Think. I feel like the stuff. I feel like you know. I so I haven't watched that movie in full. I watched clips of it after you messaged me about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do plan on watching it all. But I, I watched you know a good bit of it, just bits and pieces I could find online. I feel like they really got the styling yeah. wrong yes. because you look oh. at that even in just stills of the movie. I'm like. These girls are from the 90s, <laughs> you know? Yeah. In a lot of the haircuts and stuff and the dresses, they to me, that's kind of what it looks like. I don't know how, if it plays out that way throughout the whole film, but just, you know, at first glance, that's kind of what it looks like to me. So I just looked it up. Last Days of Disco was June. 54 came out in August. Wow. Okay. So they beat them. Um, 
I really very... like Last Days of Disco, but that's just sort of when you're kind of watching a Wet Stillman movie. It's it's like you're watching kind of a, an old Woody Allen movie. It's like everything's built off the dialogue. You have right. really intelligent conversations. It sure. kind of looks a little more at the relationship dynamics of people, but they're interesting movies to co- to compare because they're very different approaches to the same material. Right, right. Yeah, but I feel like 54 just has, like, the characters in it, it you're following this, like, Saturday Night Fever kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> storyline uh, at first, you know, following this kid who, like, comes from, you know, this bridge and tunnel kid, whatever, whereas... Mm-hmm. Last Days of Disco, they're working at a publisher house, so it's sort of like a working girl setup. Right. They're just out of college, mm-hmm. they're, yeah, publishers trying to kind of find their way in the city, it seems like, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, that's not, not too unfamiliar with what, it is, it is different. It's kind of like a waspier <laughs> yeah. version of, of 54, just because Shane, you know, he obviously comes from a working class family yeah. and he's not really educated about the world and doesn't know what to expect. So really when he gets to 54, he doesn't really know how to navigate things and he's very ignorant to everything. You know, even that opening um, shot when he walks in, you know, and all the music fades out and it's just him. He walks yeah. through the double doors, the shirt's off, he's looking good. And then he comes in and it's just that pulsing disco music. And I think it's kind of cool how they walk you through the club almost without sound or without yeah. dialogue. And it's a good bit, you know, for a few minutes, you kind of just get a feel for what that world was like. And, you know, then he ends up going up to the balcony uh, with that woman and that scene, I mean, it's just people are fucking in front of him and, yeah. he, you know, he stands there, he's touching this woman's back while she's, you know, getting railed basically. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what that reminded me of too, again, going back to little gay teenage me in Texas, I remember hearing about the show Queer as Folk, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. even though I was, I was very closeted and I was still trying to figure out my sexuality too, but I remember going on Kazaa, remember Kazaa? <laughs> yes. And down, dating myself oh, again. Yep. I do that a lot. I, I'm but. sure that I gave my mom's computer so many viruses oh, yeah. from downloading <laughs> like sure. LimeWire and LimeWire and, and, and Kazaa. Oh my God. And Napster, all that yep. shit. Yeah. Yep. The, the download share stuff. But too, so I, I downloaded the pilot episode to because ah. I was like, Oh, I want to see what it's like to be gay. One that w- that took like a week. To I was going to say, how episode. long did that take <laughs> a long time? And it was still the quality horrible. Yeah. But the opening scene to the, um, the American version of the show anyway, not the original British one is they're yeah. in the nightclub Babylon and it goes down the hallway and people are like having sex in the hallway and all that. I just remember, you know, Closing the video immediately because I was so innocent, didn't know what was going on. I was like, oh, my God. But that they reminded me of that when we see 54. You kind of get that, you know, gritty underbelly of yes. nightlife and yes. the real stuff of it. Yes. So I remember seeing – okay, and I tell, I've told Scott this story several times. But, <laughs> you know, I'm – I'm a couple of years older than the two of you. So for <laughs> me, when I'm a teenager, you know, this is a little, this is the very early days, wild west of the internet. So downloading yeah. stuff like that was kind of out of the question, especially right. when we had dial up. So we had mm-hmm. to watch, you know, cable if you had it, Cinemax mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're lucky, you'd see some, some guys, buns, whatever. Right. Um, but what I actually saw some real like gay shit for the first mm-hmm. time was on PBS and they showed, oh. they showed tales of the city, 
Armistead Moppins oh. Tales of the City and the original, uh-huh. you know, uh, miniseries of that. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I had ever seen or really heard of, like, a bathhouse. Right. And seeing yeah. these characters in towels walking down a hall with doors and just mm-hmm. looking in the doors and walking it. And I'm just like, what the hell? <laughs> what is this? What yeah, is yeah. this? And then, th- and then kind of understanding that, okay, that's that's they had that for gay people in the 70s. It was San Francisco. That was a very unique time and place for, right. like, homosexuality. And then seeing, <laughs> you know, this happening in Studio 54 going – were straight people doing that? Like in right. public? Just thinking like, okay, for me, I'm like, all right, I get the gays are doing that. But I'm like, what <laughs> What woman is just like, yeah, I'll sit on your lap and just like go to town. And the, But, you know, again, a unique time and place in history. Yeah. These people are probably blasted out of their mind on drugs. Right. You know? Right. So every now and then the like, you know, like super like uh, militant gay person in me is just like straight people don't do that that's that's not accurate but then i'm right. like oh wait a minute no they did they did it was the 70s <laughs> it was the 70s it was the 70s Everybody hedonism, yeah. hedonism and just exploration were rampant yeah. at the time so. and, the, and the whole <laughs> idea is that studio 54 was like nowhere else on earth you right. know and it's the right. one place that you could do that you know yeah I mean, I think that's similar to even bathhouses, which still yeah. exist all throughout Europe, by the way. Yeah. Wink, wink, check them out. Yeah. But, and I've heard are just very run-of-the-mill, not, you know, not a lot of, like, shame or just, like, it's a bathhouse. That's just where you go. It is. But you know what? So I went to, I studied abroad in college in London and in uh, Florence in Italy. Yeah. And I went to a bathhouse in Italy a few times because I was curious and I didn't know what it was. And I went with, I was uh, with my college boyfriend, too. Uh-huh. And the interesting thing about it is they have these, like, public areas where you can sit and just mingle. Like, a, they have, like, a snack room with, like, a microwave and <laughs> vending machines and weird stuff like that, too. But there's also lube in the vending machines, but that's, right. <laughs> you know, that's for the course. <laughs> but um, it was interesting, too, because they are still safe havens for people all over the world. We met a guy who was a member of parliament who was probably in his 70s oh, wow. from the U.K. Yeah. And he was... Um, you know, he would visit Florence and Rome and stuff and go to these places because back home he was married and had kids, but it was a no-no for yeah. him to be out and gay. So, you know, there are still places in the world where they have safe havens uh, that are like that for gay people. And I think that's kind of what 54 was just for people who were, you know, not who didn't want to just conform to what everyone else was doing and who yeah. were artistic and wanted to express themselves and wanted to, um, you know, just celebrate celebrate life and celebrate other people as well yeah i think a lot of that is is what that was yeah it's interesting that there are so many different levels to what was going on there because you know on the one hand you just think of you know seeing like 14 year old brooke shields just like living her life on the dance floor (laughs) doing the robot and then there's like (laughs) the basement where like it was even more exclusive to get down to the basement right and i thought it was cool in in the video or in the movie too how they said, you know, only Steve was genius enough to take a dirty, grimy basement yeah. and be able to turn it into, like, a VIP room that people would kill to get into. Yeah. You know? And I, I do think there's truth to that. I mean, the guy was, in some ways, either a genius or completely crazy, maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. Probably, probably a little of both. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I remember kind of coming to the realization, I think it was this movie, that Studio 54 was in um, in a theater. Yeah. 
that had this balcony with seats and right. you know they, stage. They right, built yeah. up they yeah. built up a dance floor where it was slanted. Yeah. Right. I do That's th- interesting. Yeah. I do think that they got some, you know, in some scenes it does really kind of feel like you like when you look at the way it's shot and lit, you're just like, Yeah, I've I've been in clubs like that. I've been in that situation just like right. <laughs> you know, right. it, just, it right. felt like being in a club and the music and all that. It, I think they got those those bits of it right. Um, yeah. I've, I've never worked in a club, so I don't know what it's like, you know, with all the staff and the camaraderie and all that. But um, right, right. I've been a patron. I think, I think it's pretty similar. I think it's pretty similar. I've worked at a few bars that had a big nightlife aspect. And, yeah, I mean, a lot of the time there's so much crazy shit going on that the only thing you can do is kind of go with the flow and, you yeah. know, share your stories with your coworkers and say you're never going to bl- guess like what just happened over here. Yeah, you know? for sure. <laughs> I was I was looking up famous parties at 54. There was a great Rolling Stone article that just kind of uh, talked about all of the big nights at 54. Sure. Carl uh, Lagerfeld held an 18th century masquerade party wow. lit by candlelight. Um, it <laughs> wow. was transformed into a farm and a petting zoo for Dolly Parton's birthday. Oh my god! <laughs> the Rockettes performed for Liz Taylor's birthday, and Liz uh, was on a float made of gardenias. And for oh. the for the premiere of Grease, Alan Carr arranged a fifties theme for the entire club. No so way. it was That's it was cool. made over with like lockers. They made it look like a fifties prom in a gymnasium. Awesome. And there has to be a book, right? There has to be a book oh, that like, yeah. has images and stuff from all this. I, I mean, there was like a famous photographer that got all of this stuff, too, because I remember in the 54 documentary, he's going through all of the photos. Right. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, another funny story that I came across, Steve Bell gave Andy Warhol a trash can of cash for his birthday. And when the IRS <laughs> shut down 54, Warhol was disappointed to find out it was $800 of cash instead of the grand what Ruble had said. <laughs> just giving Andy Warhol a cat, like a trash can full of money. Oh That's just God. how much singles excess. Like but yeah, it was only. But it was only eight hundred dollars. Yeah, it had to be singles. It that had were to, but, left yeah. to save but that's just the excess of this club. Yeah, and just people scraping it off the top. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's crazy to think that it was such a a different <laughs> different era where people, you know, I think. Going back to kind of like the the bathhouse situation, it's like, and with with people who work in these in these type of settings, like yeah, I think they had to share their lives so closely, even with the and I, that's more apparent in the director's cut too, with the whole three way relationship thing. But they had mm-hmm. to share their lives so closely with each other and kind of be each other's confidants because it's not like they could go home and be like, hey mom, guess what happened at work tonight? Yeah, and I totally. think that that drug them into the world even more so because it was almost like living a double life. You know? Yeah. I did rem- I did notice um just kind of talking about the 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 love triangle situation the mm-hmm. first night in the in the theatrical the first night that Ryan Phillippe goes to their house, uh, their so house, and he says, mm-hmm. "Okay." He gives him blankets and like a pillow, and he's like, "Oh, you know, stay here whenever you want, you know, whatever." And he's like, "Oh, mm-hmm. sweet, cool." And um, they sit on the couch and they sit right next to each other, real like, close, real yes. close. And mm-hmm. Greg takes a hit of a joint, hands it mm-hmm. to shane shane takes a hit and then puts the joint down like he just puts his hand down like between his legs and shane just grabs it right out of his hand yeah in between his legs and i'm just like 
My straight friends don't do that shit. No, they don't. That's very true. My straight friends that I've known for 20 years don't put their hands on me like that. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. Especially after just just getting to know someone. Who knows? Maybe maybe back then things were a lot more loose. Yeah. we, we We know realistically that... It's because it was the whole director's cut yeah, exactly. screw up. But, you know, at the same time, whole free love and all that was, was a flowing during the, the 70s. It's almost like how nowadays, you know, every now and then you'll see a guy who's from Europe who will kiss another guy. And they'll yeah. be like, oh, he's not gay. He's just European. Yeah, it's exactly. just, <laughs> it's just okay. European. <laughs> he's just wearing a Speedo. Nothing, nothing, he's from... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nothing to see here. Nothing yeah. to see. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very interesting how kind of puritanical, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but it gets more and more so how like, uh, you know, thoughts about sexuality in, in the U.S. are just so, right. you know, it, it feels like it's going one way and it's like, oh, we're becoming more open minded and more accepting of, you know, gay people and queerness and all that. But on the other hand, right. it's just like certain things that you could get away with saying on a sitcom in the 90s you know we sure you know if you watch like old episodes of will and grace you're like oh you can never say that today totally even <laughs> in the 2000 like even with a lot of episodes of the office oh the yeah stuff that they say i'm like oh they would not be able to get away with that now yeah, yeah for sure yeah so yeah and like you said free love that is definitely the like this idea that people have of of that time so that probably right. was the idea behind you know his character being a little bit more open you know right with with this new guy at work or whatever. Totally. Yeah. But yeah. I mean if my new coworker looked like Ryan Philippi <laughs> and he needed a place to crash. Uh, it'd be difficult. I've it'd got, be difficult to get work done. I've it? got a just, couch. Just just take the bed with me. You don't need to sleep on the couch. It's gonna be cold I mean, out there. Yeah, they pretty much they pretty much just insinuated that anyway. But yeah, yeah exactly. And you know, even that opening scene, you know, it hints at the the whole three way relationship or not relationship, but love triangle, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, when he asks her to play music, and they're just you know making all those lovey eyes at each other while she starts singing that song. And immediately when we were watching it, my friend was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Like, that's going to come around later. (laughs) Well, and also when they're teaching uh, city people to disco dance and Brecken walks in and sees them dancing, you think it's going to be like, oh, man. Is is he going to get all jealous and mad? And then it just turns out to not really be a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it's setting it up, I guess, a little bit because he does come back later on, obviously, and he's like, you're trying to get with my, my wife, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And that kind of hints at it because they do break apart, I guess, when he walks in the room. Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. definitely doesn't. There's no reaction. <laughs> yeah. No elicited, elicited reaction that I think I would have if it was something like that. You know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to put myself in the mindset of this character. If he's just like this young kid who's coming from Jersey, you know – they kind of explain it away in a sentence about like he knew somebody that worked with Steve's accountant and that's how he got like the interview to Which get this person? job. Shane, when he talks oh. about like getting his, his interview with Steve or his he was gonna get asked the hard hitting questions. Oh right, right. Which yeah. I do have a little bit of that uh, that audio. Let's take a listen. Okay. I was warned that Steve didn't hire any dummies, and I should be on my toes because he could ask some really tricky questions. What's two plus two? Huh? You'll be fine. (laughs) He's gorgeous. Um, Yeah, I think he said that like his... (laughs) That accent. (laughs) Yeah, he's landed on pretty thick, but I I forget. I love it. Yeah. 
<laughs> but um, so if he's this kid who just, you know, happens to score this job interview, he gets the job. And yeah, I mean, he sees the bartenders are all like these dudes. It's not explicitly stated that this many of them are gay, whatever, but they're all right. just kind of hanging all over each other. And right. yeah, I guess he plays it off a little bit like he's kind of shocked at how, you know, open everybody how is, open everybody is, but yeah. he's not put off by it. He gets, yeah. he's never like, fuck these queers. I'm leaving. Cause his friends, right. when he was like, you know, we gotta go, we gotta get out of here. We gotta go to 54. And they were right. like, oh, there's weirdos there. And one of even the fans, right. he's like, oh, they're fags. You know, early, so like the friends, Early Mark Ruffalo. Early Mark Ruffalo, man. Yeah. That yeah. threw me. I would, I would let. Shock, I forgot. I yeah. would let Mark Ruffalo do what? <laughs> into the club if he was outside. <laughs> you let him into the club. I thought you'd say you'd let him do something else. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like, you know, maybe a little bit more of a closed-minded kid or a kid yeah. who was way more straight or maybe insecure would see, you know, these bartenders and see this work situation and be like, oh, fuck this. I'm not, I can't work here. But, right. but Shane was just like, no, I need to work here. Like this right. is where it's at. This is how I'm going to make it, you know, right. in the city right. or whatever. So maybe, and too, you know, in, in this cut too, I think they, in the theatrical cut, they talk about, you know, it, it kind of goes to him doing the photo shoots where he's in that uh, like, cute Santa Claus, yes. <laughs> that whole thing. But then, you know, he is bummed because he does want, he, it seems like more so than a lot of the other characters, even though some people are trying to achieve things through meeting people at studio 54, like yeah. Selma Hayek's character, he, he wants something like that. Too. He's not just there to be a bartender. So, yeah. you know, he's upset after this photo shoot because they cut his article because really it's just eye candy to these yeah. people, you know. For sure. And he, it, it kind of shows, you know, his innocence uh, a lot too because even later on, you know, he gets into an argument with uh, Steve Rubell and Steve's like, oh, you don't think there was a Patrick 54 and a whatever 54 also? You're not the first one to come through here. Yeah, right? for sure. I, I love that interview magazine. <laughs> <laughs> the photo's great. great and then the little blurb says like I'll do anyone. Yeah. I'll Does it do say anyone. I'll do anyone? <laughs> like, oh, oh my god. It looked like Playgirl. <laughs> it did. Yeah. But just the idea that Interview Magazine in the late 70s would have quote unquote profiles of of Studio 54 bartenders and barbacks. Yeah. That's amazing. Like That is pretty cool. I feel like Playgirl would have published the full interview. Oh, I'm saying they wouldn't have done them dirty like that. Mm -hmm. What are those? What are those free gay magazines like Frontiers? Yes, (laughs) the ones that are in like every gay bar, just like stacks them. Frontiers. Frontiers would probably he'd make the cover of Frontiers. He'd make the cover of Frontiers, (laughs) but he'd have to take it off to make it inside of Frontiers Mm because yeah. But uh, that's what that felt like to me. I was like, okay, I could see that in like Frontiers or like isn't there one like a with like a isn't there like a Latino one? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I want to say it's a scandalo, but it's not. Uh, do, you remember, <laughs> do you remember going to gay bars and picking up those magazines? Those oh, were the days. I remember going to bars. Totally. Oh yeah. I, I guess that this isn't know. very a COVID friendly movie. This this is a this is a kind <laughs> right? of a space with a lot of people stacked on you top of what? each other, close quarters. Hey, you're right. But honestly, I'm not really a club goer or anything. Haven't been for about ten years. I had I had my moment, you know, right when I was in college and right after I came out and everything. Yeah. But watching this movie and just like when he's like 
when he first gets to the club and he's really feeling it and he's, his eyes are closed and he's like bobbing along and it's yeah. so blind. So I was like, Oh God, that would feel so nice right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you know? for sure. We, yeah, we, we're not big club goers, but I mean, we, we enjoy a night out. We have our select yeah. group enjoy of bars out. that we go to. We enjoy a cocktail yeah. from time to time. We do like the, a, a drag show. We do like yeah. the offbeat precinct and the fault line. Shout out. Um, I love, I love going to uh, act bar for their like, Oh yeah, 80s and 90s dance nights. That's fun. Yeah. Lots well, and kind of going to Akbar, I feel like Akbar. There's a little shred of a '54 vibe to certain nights at Akbar, like at Full yeah. Frontal Disco. They'll come out in crazy costumes. Mm-hmm. That's kind of mm-hmm. a a holdover from like '54. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, Oil Can Harry's also has a good disco night. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, LA nightlife is interesting, but um, well, we'll see. We'll see where it is and. When all this blows over, we'll be we'll be right back out on the dance floor. But we'll, we might look like Disco Dottie at, at that point. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> hope not. <laughs> oh wait, that that character is so amazing too, and she's based on you know, like you said before, based on a real person. That's insane. First of all, so yeah, yeah I believe that she was a lawyer. She worked in law or something when I was reading about it. The real wow. and she <laughs> wandered into Fifty Four after her husband died. Oh my god! Oh, and she just wow. would go there and dance every week. And he said, That's let her insane. in. He was just like, you, get in there. I mean, they talk about <laughs> I it. I see it. They talk yeah. about it in the documentary of, oh, my God, the fucking disco granny. Just like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, they that would also. What was interesting and kind of gave you this sense of like uh, of, of realism is that in the voiceover, they would talk about how some nights Steve just wouldn't let in, out, let in a lot of people. And it'd be kind of yeah. it'd be kind of dead in there. Yeah. It'd be like super busy outside, but it'd just be kind of quiet. And they would show them, and, and they would have these conversations in the balcony, and they'd be the only ones up there. And it'd be like, "That's so right. crazy that this is just one of those." And maybe Steve was just a little too whacked out on lewds, you know, right. <laughs> to go stand out front, and he forgot to let people in. <laughs> yeah, probably. You know, I, do, I love the scene too, where he's like. <laughs> he's bitching at the the doorman, and he's like, "How dare you let those people in?" And yeah, they were your cousins. He's like, "I don't, I don't give a shit if it was my mom and dad." You see how they look? You yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was amazing, and that's why I'm just like, I would have never made it. Into- <laughs> I think I had a very short window where I could have made it in. But Ex- yeah, I'm, I'm exactly. <laughs> there, there was a there was a little window of time when I could have I could have made it past. You'd the, have to take your shirt off. You'd have to sneak in with the Roman gladiators. <laughs> totally totally and would have been happy to yeah (laughs) oh but yeah pretty it's a pretty great great movie overall and i always have like i bonded with other like gay people yeah (laughs) with this movie you know a lot of the the, uh times i've watched it have been early on in like friendships with with other people in the lgbt community have been like oh have you seen this movie and i don't know (laughs) You know, I think I think basically in the in the theatrical cut there is obviously a lot of homoerotic stuff, but you know, nothing that's too overtly that. I just think it's it's something that people can identify with because yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of people even in this country, the only escapes that they have from their small rural towns is to go to a big city and go to clubs where everyone kind of accepts them and there is no judgment, you know. No matter what you are, what you're wearing, what color your skin is, that sort of thing. Yeah. So I think that's kind of beautiful, you know? Yeah. And also just kind of being a young gay kid, when this movie came out, I just I just yeah. remember all of the buzz and lead up to it. I remember watching MTV News 
would do segments on movies. And I remember watching the 54 one. Right. So right. it was just yeah. kind of your first window of what exactly is 54 in this period of the 1970s. And mm-hmm. I just remember being very fascinated with it. And yeah. I, and I kind of knew like, oh, this is a very adult movie that right. I, right. I am not going to be able to make it to this movie in the theater. <laughs> And right, then yeah, you just and, same, and then you and then you track it down once it once it comes out on video. Yeah, yeah. I, I was too young to see it in theaters too, but I definitely saw it when I saw it when I was in high school. It was probably a better time because I had more of an understanding about what was going on. I was like, oh, I'm into this for sure, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, you know. I feel like God. If we like, oh, here we go. Oh yeah. <laughs> We can. We'll just talk amongst ourselves yeah. while this little gem is playing. <laughs> this, such a good cover, but you're right. The original version. It's, it's such it's a like. Sad. It's very sad. But I say, listen to it. Find Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah. And listen to the original. It's great. This scene of the movie where it just turns into just a music video with them on the stage. <laughs> I don't know if it's too period accurate. <laughs> it's it's fine. It's it wraps it up. It yeah. wraps up the movie into a nice little button at the end. Yeah, yeah. We, we it get does. Steve's like d- demise. Poor, <laughs> poor Steve Rappel. I would have yeah. liked to have seen Eliza stand in because I know that she was very vocal for Steve, especially when he went to prison. Yeah, Eliza oh, really? was all about like rounding up the troops to sure. like support Steve at fifty four. Yeah. I like oh, okay. I like that we got Truman Capote. I like that even though Warhol was only very much in like a profile or the back of his head, he was still in there at least. He was in there somewhere. Right. But he's uh, in the basement scene for a quick second too. He has a line yeah. too. Yeah, he has lines in the basement. Where do you scene. think they got this little kid to be hoisted down from the, the rafters angel? dressed the angel? as the angel? <laughs> Where do you think they, they just bizarre. picked up this little kid? Uh, fun fact about this little kid. I don't know how fun it is, but on IMDb, the actor credited for that like angel cherub boy, his name is Morgan Freeman. Is it really? (laughs) I just thought that was funny. I was like, Morgan Freeman's in. Oh, cherubic boy. He can can probably now get a a few drinks bought for him at like the gay bar. Seriously, I was the kid in '54 that they that they like that they like hoisted down from the rafters. Is he yeah. still acting, that kid? It didn't look like there was a lot going on in that okay. IMDb profile. Well, actually, so the guy that the Shane O'Shea character, I think that's his last name, O'Shea. Yeah. Shane O'Shea, yeah. The guy that he's based on loosely, his name was Teague Thomas. And I couldn't find any actual photos of him uh, online. Oh, wow. I'm sure they're somewhere. But yeah. he's, he's been in a lot of movies himself. Um, really? Just, yeah. I think he's, he's usually like a hunky extra or that sort of thing but let me let me see on imdb it says yeah he was in step up 3d recently what 10 years ago um that was the last big thing he did but yeah he's done he's been in lots of uh things as like motorcycle stud you know stuff like that so (laughs) he must be pretty hot to trot still wow that's amazing (laughs) that's amazing well do we have any any do we leave anything out? Yeah, I was, I was reading about the New Year's Eve party that's sort of based on in this uh-huh. movie that uh-huh. uh, they trucked in just all of these ton, all of this tons of four tons of glitter for the guests to dance wow. on. Wow! Oh and uh, kind of a quote where people had glitter in their hair and their socks. You would see it in people's homes six months yeah. later, and you knew that what they had been doing at fifty four on New Year's. I love that glitter's hard to get off yep. of you. 
<laughs> it's hard to get off of you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. I would also love to have that prop of the giant moon with the, the with coke the coke spoon. spoon. I love. That. <laughs> Where is that prop? Oh, I, I would love to bid on it. Please. I know it is amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> um, do we have any final thoughts to wrap up on on fifty four? I mean, this is this movie's kind of epic. Yeah. Yeah. All around great movie. Yeah. It's definitely a time capsule for for like for us at least because we were at kind of the right impressionable impressionable age when it came out. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. You got just a, you got another glimpse of of Ryan's buns. You got Ryan's buns. You had <laughs> Nev Campbell from Scream, and I'll go into it kind of on our Scream episode. But I feel mm-hmm. like for gay men and your boyfriend probably also feel like gay men. If you ever wanted to tell someone straight who your female crushes were, you just went to Nev Campbell. <laughs> And it's like, who is like, what like teenage boy is saying that their crush is Nev Campbell? Honestly, I probably said Britney Spears. (laughs) But just like Nev, this beautiful, handsome woman. She's a handsome. She's a handsome lady, is what she She is. She is a handsome woman. Oh, and I need to. uh, I need to quickly retract what I said before about the guy. The guy Teague Thomas, who Shane O'Shea was based on, he sure. was in lots of films, but most of them were porn. Ah, that track. <laughs> All right. I forgot that porn is also on IMDb. Yes, but indeed. Yeah. Adult adult uh, listings are are there as well. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> this was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you for coming on our show, yes. man. Did you want to talk a little bit me. about your YouTube channel with Garrett? Yes, please do. Uh, Gay in the yes, Life. Yes. Did you want to talk about it a little? Of course, of course. Yeah, so Garrett Clayton and I, so Garrett Clayton, my fiance, he's an actor. You might know him from, your audience anyway, might know him from uh, King Cobra, the Brent Corrigan true life, <laughs> true mm-hmm. life, uh, true to life film, a retelling of it anyway, with uh, Christian Slater and James Franco. And he was also in Hairspray Live as Link Larkin um, with Ariana Grande and Christian Chenoweth, all those fun people. But yeah, so we started a, uh, we partnered with YouTube and we did not really want to do a channel that was just completely vapid. Um, so we started a channel called A Gay in the Life that you can find at youtube.com slash a gay in the life. And basically, uh, we interview LGBTQ plus people from all over the world um, and all different backgrounds about what their experiences um, growing up as queer are like in their cultures. So you know, we've we've inter- interviewed some really interesting people and just talked about different issues and um, obstacles that they come up against. So, for example, we've talked to a trans woman from the Philippines. Tomorrow we have uh, an interview with a two-spirit uh, Native American individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've talked to people from, you know, Russia and Brazil who have sought exile uh, in the U.S. because of persecution. So, you know, we're, we're really trying to just start a dialogue and um, really have something for a resource for especially young queer people. Because I know when I was younger, uh, especially, especially in like high school days, I didn't even know what it looked like to be a man who went on a date with another man. I didn't really have, you know, any, any type of direction as far as that goes. It wasn't something I could talk to my mom about, you know? So we're really just trying to provide a platform to, for people to tell their stories and what it was like, growing up as queer in these different communities. Um, and so far we've seen, you know, a big outpouring of especially young queer people um, reaching out to us and saying, you know, thanks for doing this. Do you have any advice about X, Y, Z? You know, and we can, we're just trying to provide resources uh, for young people um, for that. So we've had a lot of fun talks with 
Um, people like Jackie Cox from RuPaul's Drag Race. That one's coming up soon. Oh, fun. I was just um, watching your interview with Tan France. That was really good. Yeah, Tan France. We yeah. had we chatted with him last week, and his story his story is really awesome too. He has a book that he published two years ago, a little memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so yeah, if you if you want to check it out and hear some more queer content, LGBTQ plus stories, check out A Gay in the Life on YouTube. And awesome. We put up a new post every Thursday. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. We'll definitely we'll put that out yeah. on our socials so you can cool. thank um, you. find links for that. So yeah. yeah, thank you so much for coming on. This was so much fun. Yeah. Yes, yes, it was awesome. And please, yeah, keep me posted. I'm gonna keep listening and I I probably have a slew of other films that I I would love to talk about, but I'll send yes. you guys a list and oh, see if definitely. you're interested. Come back on. Yeah, for sure. We've already had like Many returning guests. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I was very jealous. More. I was jealous that I did not get in on Batman Forever. <laughs> yeah, so jealous because that that movie really was the one that made me gay. Oh, Same, Chris wow. O'Donnell. <laughs> yeah, Chris O'Donnell. The bat nipples. Oh Gotta my love the goodness! Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, thank you guys so much again for having me. And you're uh, welcome. Love, love what you guys are doing, and love listening to every episode. Oh, thank you so much. Well, we <laughs> will. We hope to talk to you soon. <laughs> It's yeah. been great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank Bye. you. Bye. <laughs> All righty. And thank you so much for listening, everybody out there. Another one down. We have a another Nev Campbell movie coming up. <gasps> another Nev Campbell movie. How many Nev Campbell movies I know. are there? Probably a lot. But we've got one coming up, so stay tuned for that. You'll get some uh, some fun information on that. And stay tuned. We are probably going to get our Patreon page up and running. We're just very, kind of finalizing it. We're going to have some cool stuff available on Patreon for you. Yes, indeed. There'll be fun things. If you would like to join our Patreon, we'll have some fun exclusive content for you, our listeners. So uh, keep an eye out on that. Check our socials. Check our Instagram and Twitter. You can see what fun extras you can get if you want to join our Patreon. If you have any questions about that, shoot us a line uh, on any of our socials. We're always listening. Uh, Scott, where can they find us online? You can find us on Twitter, Twitter at MTMUGpod and on Instagram and Facebook at Movies That Made Us Gay. Yes, indeed. You can shoot us an email if you'd like, movies that made us gay at gmail.com. Slide into our DMs. We're always on Instagram. Yes, indeed. We're always on Instagram. Uh, if you would like to find me personally, I am at Peter Lasagna at um, Instagram and Scott. Scott Youngballer on Instagram. Yes, indeed. Take a look. Go find us. And uh, we would love if you would rate and review our show. We'd love it if you would subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Ratings and reviews help us to get some traction, help us to get noticed, help us to get more listeners. Give us five stars. Give us five stars. Do it for Ryan Phillippe. Do it for those buns. Do it for those Phillippe buns. That angel, angel face. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.